Well, hey, everybody, so great to see you, whether you're here in the room or joining us online. I'm honored to have you along for the ride. We're in the final week of a series that we've called The Way Forward, in which we're attempting to answer a really great question. It's a question I think we've all asked from time to time. It goes like this. Uh, What can you do when you don't know what to do, right? In other words, like, what can you do when you've made such a mess of your life that you just can't seem to find a way forward. Those moments when you've run out of answers and you're feeling more or less hopeless. Well, as I've mentioned all along, I regularly have conversations with people who've reached moments like that for all sorts of different reasons. People who just can't see past the mess of their present reality. And over the years and over these conversations, I've made a few observations that provided the framework for this series. Uh, And today, as we come in for a landing on this content, there's one more thing that I want to share with you. And in some ways, I think it's the most practical thing of all. And I want to introduce it by asking, well, another question. And this one goes like this. Have you ever told God later? (laughs) Have you ever told God later? Like, have you ever decided to delay doing something that you knew that God wanted you to do because honestly, you just didn't want to do it. Like it was too uncomfortable. It was too hard. It was too inconvenient. Or it just like cost too much in in time or in resources. Like if my experience is any indication, you probably have. I, I think all of us have had a time or two in our lives when we realized that God wanted us to change, to renegotiate something. But for one reason or other, we decided to put it off. And maybe it was a a financial thing. Uh, You were in a mess and you kind of knew what the way forward looked like. You didn't want to do it right in that moment. So you just kind of said, well, yeah, I'll do it, but I'll do it later. Or or maybe for you, it was a vocational thing or a relational thing or an integrity thing. Like whatever the thing, you know, you decided to delay. And and what I want to do with with our time together today is explain why I'm convinced that, well, that's That's a kind of a dangerous decision to make, especially if you're looking for a way forward from a mess in your life. And so to get us going uh, in that conversation, what I want to do is explore a little known story from the Old Testament of the Bible with you that takes place during a very specific and very challenging period of Israel's history. But before we get to that story, like often happens, especially in the Old Testament, I need to give you a bit of context to sort of set the scene before we enter the narrative. And so the first thing what I want to let you know about, it's something that happened in the year 586 B.C., And it was something that happened that absolutely shook the nation of ancient Israel to its core. In in 586 BC, the Babylonian Empire uh, conquered and absolutely devastated the city of Jerusalem. Uh, They burned the Jewish temple to the ground and deported many of the Jewish people to Babylon, which was a city in modern-day Iraq. Here's a map to kind of help you get your bearings. But we're talking like 800 miles away. And so for the people of ancient Israel, this was the most significant event in their history since the day that God had rescued their ancestors from slavery in Egypt. It's no exaggeration to say that with the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of their temple, everything changed. Uh, They soon found themselves to be strangers in a strange land, separated from all they had ever 
known. It would have been incredibly disorienting. In fact, scholars tell us that it was during this period, this period in exile, that many of the Old Testament psalms of lament were written. Psalms of mourning and longing and trying to express what they were wrestling with inside to their God. So here's an example just to give you a sense of how these people were feeling during that period in exile. The author of Psalm 137 wrote the following. He said, by the rivers of Babylon, so again, that's the city where they'd been sent. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. And in the text, Zion is a synonym for Jerusalem and Israel. Uh, But in this case, it's referring to Jerusalem. So by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars, those are trees, we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs. Our our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They they said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. One of those songs that you would sing when when you went up to the temple to worship your God. And they responded, how can we sing the songs of the Lord while we're in a foreign land? And then he says this, if I forget you, Jerusalem... May my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. I mean, it's no exaggeration to say that during this season in Babylon, the the Jewish people's perspective on life was radically, radically altered. They were sort of brought into what it was normal in the Babylonian culture, but again, it was so, so foreign to them. Anyway, um, after six decades in exile, so like 60 years, the Babylonian Empire was conquered by the Persian Empire. And the Persian king, a man by the name of Cyrus the Great, offered the people of Israel a chance to return to their homeland and to rebuild their temple. Uh, Here's what he told them. He said, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. So he actually attributes his military success, at least in part, to the God of Israel. He says, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem. And so he says, any of his people among you may go up and the Lord, their God, be with them. So in other words, the Jewish people are invited by this Persian king to go and rebuild their temple. And uh, it's easy for us to miss, but this invitation was so significant and so unprecedented in the ancient world that it isn't just recorded in the Bible. Like Cyrus' proposition was also recorded in something historians call the Cyrus Cylinder, which archaeologists discovered in Iraq in the late 1800s. Uh, Moreover, this really cool replica of that cylinder is displayed at the United Nations headquarters in New York City, and it sits between the room where the Security Council meets and the room where the Economic Council meets. In other words, whenever the top diplomats in our world meet at the UN to discuss issues critical to human thriving, they walk by the Cyrus Cylinder, which as it turns out, and as far as we can tell, was the first written declaration of human rights in history. And so Cyrus extends this invitation, and a whole bunch of Jewish people accept that invitation to return to Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple. And so they pack up their belongings, and they begin the long journey home. It would have taken months They would have walked along along the Fertile Crescent uh, to the Sea of the Mediterranean and then down the coastline and then finally up to the mountains of Jerusalem. But eventually, 
Now, after those many, many days of walking, uh, Jerusalem would have come into view. And when these pilgrims saw the city for the first time, they would have been completely overwhelmed. Um, Again, they had been gone for 60 years. And during that time, the city had remained in ruins while nature had steadily reclaimed territory. And if any of you have been weeding lately in your yard, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, It's like buildings that had been damaged during the invasion would have collapsed and the city streets would have been impassable. In other words, their capital, the city that they loved, the city in which they worshiped their God, would have been unrecognizable. And so as I imagine it, they would have walked the city streets as best they could, inspected the chaos, and the people would have decided what many of us would have decided. They would have said, okay, well, we need to prioritize the restoration of the civic infrastructure. Think like homes and businesses and like we got to figure out how to get food and water going, right? But they would prioritize those sorts of things over their religious infrastructure. Like they were going to work on their, the things they needed to survive before they worked on the temple. That's what they decided. That's what we decided. And with that context, that brings us to the narrative that I want to explore with you today. Uh, And it's recorded in a little known book in the Old Testament that was named after its main character. He was a Jewish prophet named Haggai. And now my guess is that many of you have never heard of Haggai, which means, and this is really good news, this will be the best talk you've ever heard about Haggai. And it will be the worst talk you've ever heard from Haggai because it's the only talk you've ever heard from Haggai. Just saying. Anyway, as Haggai begins, the author of the story sets it at a very specific moment in history. Here's what he tells us. He says, in the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. And I know that sounds like a lot of unnecessary detail. And honestly, from our perspective, it kind of is. But I think it's pretty cool because as it turns out, Haggai is the most accurately dated book in the entire Bible. In fact, historians tell us, based on this description, that the events that he's about to describe began on August 29, 520 B.C., Okay, maybe I'm just a nerd. I think that's cool. We're moving on. Yeah, some of you are like, I have no idea why I care. Anyway, God revealed to Haggai that the people of Israel who had returned from Babylon had upset him because they had decided, and check this out, that the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. In other words, the people decided that rebuilding the temple wasn't their top priority, even though it was why they had returned to Jerusalem. And that is a significant thing to consider. I mean, these people knew that they needed to rebuild the temple. They knew that it was something they should do. And it was something that they wanted to do. They had just decided to delay. They decided that the time to rebuild the temple had not yet arrived. Again, they weren't saying that they wouldn't do it. They were saying that they would get to it later. They had other priorities. They had houses to build, fields to plant, infrastructure to repair. So if you think about it, they weren't refusing to build the temple. They were simply deciding to delay. And before we judge them too harshly, I want you to consider something once again, because as we've said, 
I think we do this sort of thing all the time. Like, we don't tell God that we won't do what he wants us to do. Uh, that would feel disobedient. We don't really want to be disobedient. We just tell him that we'll get to it later. And so I just got to ask you, have you ever done this? Have you ever decided to delay? I know I have, and uh, so have many of my friends. In fact, a few years ago, I was in a men's group where we actually talked about this tendency to tell God that we'll do something that we know he wants us to do later. And honestly, it was fascinating to note all the different areas in life where that was possible. As I recall, uh, one guy confessed that he had known for years that God wanted him to be more generous with his resources. I mean, he was a longtime Christian. He'd grown up in church, and he was aware of the fact that following Jesus meant pursuing a rhythm of sacrificial generosity. Like, he understood the concept, and he agreed that being generous was a better way to live. He even said he wanted his kids to be generous. He wanted to teach them generosity. But, but here's the thing. He said he had never actually disciplined himself to be sacrificially generous. And, and to be fair, he never told God that he didn't want to. He did want to. He just decided that he was going to do it later. But, but here's the thing. We had this conversation, and we were all in our early 40s. And he said, I've been, I've been telling God later, like for decades. He said, I told God later in high school because I didn't have any money. So that was easy, right? <laughs> And he says, and then I told God later in college because, I, you know, I had to get a bunch of student loans in order to get through school. And, and then he said, I told God later when I graduated from college because I needed to relocate for work and there was all those expenses. And, and then he said, then I told God later when I got engaged and needed money for a wedding and then a honeymoon and to buy a first house and start a family. He says, and to save for kids' college and for his retirement. <laughs> Like, you get the idea, right? During our conversation, he said, you know, I simply never prioritized the change that I knew deep down I needed to make. And, and, you know, and then he said this. He said, if I'm not careful, I may never begin the journey of generosity. And again, not because I don't want to and not because I don't agree that it's the right thing to do. I mean, I certainly don't want to tell God no. So I just kept telling him later. I decided to delay and what's fun in groups like this is when someone shares something significant like that, their vulnerability opens up more vulnerability. And so another guy in the group, as I recall, confessed that he had known since middle school that he needed to prioritize his time in order to develop something that he called spiritual disciplines. Like he knew that he was supposed to be someone who prayed regularly and read the Bible and paid attention to how he was living to hold up his life to the way of Jesus, to monitor what was going on there. But he said, I, I guess I've just been always, I've just been so busy. And he said, so by my actions, or maybe by my lack of option, actions, I, I've just been telling God later. He said, I, I told God later in middle school and high school when my life was consumed with sports. I told God later when I was in college, I had to juggle like a girlfriend and a job and then all these classes. I mean, she didn't work out, but I did get to graduate, so that's a plus, right? And then he says, and I told God later, like after graduation, when I moved to a new city and needed to make friends and, and there were all these new opportunities to explore. And then I told God later when I got married and began to fix up a house in which to live. And then we started having kids and it got really busy he says, more recently, if I'm honest, I've kind of been telling God later because of a <clears throat> low to mid-grade social media addiction, <laughs> right? 
He says, I know what's going on in the world, but I'm often not very aware of what's going on in my faith. So he said, I know what I should do. I know what I could do. I even know what I, I'm kind of supposed to do. He says, and I don't want to tell God no, because I really want to do it. But I just, I just keep telling him later. I decided to delay. And then the third guy in my group, there were four of us, he talked about his need to invest more time in his relationship with his kids. And as I recall, he said, you know, my life is sort of the embodiment of that song that makes everybody cry, Cats in the Cradle. Remember that one? Yeah, we're like, if you're a parent, you're driving down the road on your way to Meyer and you're just weeping. And the guy next to you is like, what is your problem, dude? You know, Cat Stevens, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. But uh, this guy, he said, I, you know, I know that God wants me to prioritize my relationship with my kids, but again, life's busy. And I keep telling God that I'll, I'll do it, but I, I just got to get this next thing done. I'll do it later. He, he said this, he goes, this is so ridiculous. I was even at an airport in one of those airport bookstores, you know what I'm talking about? And he read this book talking about the importance of spending time with your children. And he's like, I'm reading it in the corner and one of those chairs that aren't very comfortable. And I'm like, mm. like I'm, I'm nodding. I'm agreeing with the author's arguments, but, but I'm doing it while I'm on if I'm honest, what's an optional business trip that actually takes me away from my family? So I never say no to like investing in my relationship with my kids. I know it's important. I know it's what I'm supposed to do. I'd never tell God no because I really want to do it. But again, it's, it's almost like a question of priority. I just keep telling God later. I just decide to delay. But here's the thing that I remember from our discussion all those years ago, and, and, and to me, this is really something worth thinking about, if not writing down, especially, again, if you're in a mess right now. Later is dangerous because we mean it when we say it. <laughs> we really do. In other words, when we know there's something that God wants us to do and we tell him we'll get to it later, we're not being dishonest. It's not like we're Jonah. Remember Jonah? The story from the Old Testament, right? Like God tells Jonah, go east by land, and Jonah goes west by sea. Like he runs in the other direction. We're not running from God when we tell him later. In fact, we're not running at all. We're, we're not going anywhere. And that's why later is so dangerous. If, if we say later long enough, even if we mean it every time we say it, we're kind of functionally saying no to God. We're not saying what we need to say. We're not doing what we need to do. We're not stopping what we need to stop or starting what we need to start. It's kind of like we're stalled in this area of our life. And if we get stalled long enough, it starts to rob us of, of potential for health and our relationships and our finances and our vocation, just about everything else. So uh, just something to think about. So let's jump back into the story. Um, after receiving this message from God about his frustrations with his people's priorities, God instructs Haggai to deliver a message directly from him to them. That's what prophets did in the Old Testament. They got a message from God and delivered it to the people. And just fair warning, the, the prophecy was a bit direct, like what God wanted his people to hear. It was a bit direct. So here's what God told Haggai. To tell the people, you know, is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled homes? So apparently, um, it wasn't like just kind of lean-tos on the side of the hill. I mean, they were 
doing trim carpentry or something, right? Panel home. He's like, is it time for you yourselves to be living in your panel houses? Well, this house, that's God's like my house, the temple, remains a ruin. And he says, give careful thought to your ways. He says, go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house, the temple, so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. In other words, God says, listen, guys, you've got your priorities in the wrong order. You need to do what you need to do. You need to stop putting off until tomorrow what you really should do today. And so this is what God tells the people. And if you're paying attention, there's a question that, that rises up, at least in my mind. And it's like, okay, well, what happens next? Like, how did God try to motivate his people to realign their priorities? I mean, and, and again, we're in the Old Testament, so the text is written under the old covenant, the God covenant that God had with ancient Israel, and under God's covenant with ancient Israel um, that was established at Mount Sinai with Moses and the Ten Commandments and all of that, God told his people that his blessing was contingent on their obedience. Like he had repeatedly told his people that when they honored his priorities and his boundaries and his imperatives, they would be blessed. And when they didn't honor his priorities and boundaries and imperatives, well, he would bring correction in love to try to redirect their path. So what did God do in this moment? And as it turns out, he told the people something that he had already done. It goes like this. He says, you expected much. But see, it turned out to be little. He says, what you brought home, I blew away. So apparently, they were having some issues with their construction, and they weren't sure why. And I'm sure around the campfire at night, a few of them were asking why. And so God says to them, why? I'll tell you why, <laughs> declares the Lord Almighty. Because of my house, my temple, which remains in ruin. Well, each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, he said, because of you, and your choice to delay, to say later, the heavens have withheld their due and the earth its crops. In other words, God says, hey, because you have kept telling me later, I need to reorient your priorities and I've withheld the rains, which I'm telling you, in ancient times was devastating. They didn't have the technology to move water from where it was to where it needed to be. And so that's how God brought correction to them under the old covenant when they told God later. But it would be very fair for you to ask, what about us today? I mean, does God withhold rain from our lives? And, and what does that look like? And I would say, I would argue probably, no, he doesn't. Because, because of the blood of Jesus, we who believe in him are under a new covenant, which carries with it new expectations and new rules of relationship between people and God. And the health of our relationship with our Heavenly Father is based solely on what Jesus accomplished when he died on the cross for us and not our ability to follow through on his instructions. And that's, that's the gospel. That's good news. Uh, said a bit differently, God doesn't literally withhold rain in our lives when our priorities get out of order. But what he does do, well, he allows us to experience the negative consequences of our choices as well as the negative consequences of the choices of others. More to our point for today, if we say later long enough to God, we will experience negative consequences in our lives. I mean, just revisiting the conversation with those guys in the men's group, I mean, if we push off developing systemic generosity, we miss out on the blessing of being a blessing in other people's lives, of helping other people, of living a bigger life and a better story. And if we fail to develop our relationship with God, like through, those, through spending time with him, 
then we really miss out on what it means to enter a relationship of trust with him. We're in a relationship with him, but we don't know him that well. Like at the deepest level, when we trust him, there's a peace that results that we can have access to in the midst of life's darkest storms. And if we neglect our relationships with our kids, then we miss out on the blessing of being close to them. And by the way, that's, I think, why the song Cats in the Cradle makes us tear up so easily. Like, it's a deep, deep truth. It's almost like Cat Stevens wrote the best three-and-a-half-minute sermon in history, right? Conviction falls every time it plays in the dentist's office. (laughs) Sorry. Oh, yeah. Anyway, back to the story. Um, If I'm honest, I'm a bit worried about my man Haggai right now because bad things tended to happen to Old Testament prophets when they told people things that the people didn't want to hear. So what happens next? Well, as it turns out, the people heard Haggai's words really God's words through Haggai, and they received them. They embraced them. They received the correction. In fact, the author noted that the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai. And I'm telling you, this is the best case scenario. I mean, these people immediately agreed to realign their priorities with God's priorities. And then the account continues, and it tells us, that then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. So God makes contact again after they agree to do what they need to do and stop saying later. And check this out. God says to Haggai, I want you to tell the people this message. I am with y'all, plural. I'm with you. I'm with you. As you do what you need to do, I'm with you. And that's incredible. In fact, as I was prepping for today, I thought, man, if, if anything in this, this time together motivates you to finally do the thing that you know you need to do, if today marks the close of a season for some of you where you've been telling God later, then you really need to know that as you begin to do what you need to do, God is with you too. He's with you as you move from selfishness to a life of serving others. He's with you as you break long-established patterns of debt and spending that are just leaving you without any to share. He's with you as you make an apology that you've been pushing off for years. And he's with you as you begin to prioritize key relationships in your life. He's with you as you break from something you know is toxic to your soul. He's with you as you do what you know that you need to do. He's with you. You don't have to do it alone. And my friends, that is great news. I just have to show you how this uh, story concludes. The author uh, records that the whole remnant of the people of Israel who had returned to Jerusalem came, he says, and began to work on the house of the Lord, the temple, Their God, on the 24th, more detail, 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of the King Darius. And you're like, yep, okay, once again, way too much information. But let me tell you why this is cool. I had to do a little math to get this for you, so added value today. That's only 23 days after Haggai delivered his message from God to the people. Like three weeks later, plus a couple days, they go and begin the work on the temple. They begin to do what they know they should do. And so with all that said, I just I want to ask you a question, especially if you're here this morning 
and you're seeking a way forward from a mess of your own making. And the question goes like this, where in your life are you telling God later? I think if we're honest, we all have an area in our life where we're telling God later, right? Where, where are you delaying something that you know that he wants you to do? Where are you, where am I in danger of missing God's best for us? And I'm telling you, whatever it is, I plead with you, say what you need to say, do what you need to do, stop doing what you know you should stop doing. And as you make the changes that you know he wants you to make, as I make the changes I know he wants me to make, we should know he is with us. Because he is for us. And he loves us. All right, that brings us to the end of this series. And uh, by the way, next week, we begin a new series of talks that I'm super excited about. Um, It's called Because You're Loved, and it's all about rethinking religion in light of the love God has demonstrated in and through the person of Jesus Christ. And so, like, if you grew up in a religious framework and you're in the process of deconstructing and reconstructing and asking questions, don't miss this next series. Again, I cannot wait to share this content with you. But for now, uh, if you're here in the room, I'd love to invite you to stand, and I'll close our time together in prayer. Uh, And once again this week, if you came into this place... um, and you're just at a, a, a tough spot and you want to talk to someone, we'd love to meet you uh, after I dismiss under the left screen. And uh, we'd love to offer a prayer for you. But for the rest of us, let me close our time. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you that you love us even when we say later. And thank you that you continue to invite us to move forward and to follow the example of your son from whatever mess in which we find ourselves. So thank you for love, thank you for grace, and thank you for hope in the midst of any and every mess. I pray for friends who came into this place just seeking a word from you. I pray that something in this ancient text would resonate deeply in them and you would whisper to them that you are with them and you love them. And so today we once again thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he came among us to show us the way and to be the way. And we thank you for his blood that covers our sins and the hope of eternity with you. And so we bless you, we celebrate you, we thank you, and we love you. In the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Everyone said, amen. Grace and peace to you, friends. Have a great day. We'll see you next week. This is-